There we go. Okay, so it's like college college football season and pro football season starts today, so you have to use a football hook this morning, right? Anybody ever seen or heard, um, been a part of somebody like giving a, a pep talk at the beginning of a game, kind of a pump up speech? You know, kind of like let's go get them and feel like you know they get they get this impassioned call to go out and give everything you got. One of the best I've ever seen in my life was from a West Virginia University coach. Let's see if this works. Come on, there it comes. It's coming. Still gives me chills. I'm not even really like a big Mountaineer fan, but I'm like, you leave no doubt. Leave no doubt. <laughs> Makes you want to run through a wall, doesn't it? <laughs> now, now let's. Anybody ever like heard a really bad one? I got I got a really bad one for you this morning. Okay, are you ready? This is this is maybe the worst pep talk you've ever heard in your life. I may have to explain it after it's over, just so you know. But. Uh, Watch this. <laughs> what? So he, he said, we're going to eat a W. Everybody get a W, and we're going we're going to L W tonight. And like even the people around him are going, "What's he doing? What is that supposed to get me excited? Is that supposed to pump me up? It's just freaking me out." 
I'm worried about that guy's mental health. And that's what's going on there. Dude is eating W's. And like, anyway. anyway, last week, we started uh, looking at Jesus's, I wouldn't say pep talk, but instructions, um, monologue that he gives to the disciples as he's sending them out for the first mission without him being with them physically. And really, if you think about it, what we looked at last week, this, this started out, man, this is kind of a leave no doubt type of speech, right? He gave them authority to heal people. He gave them authority to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. Now, he did tell them not to take any money or a change of clothes, which was a little weird we talked about. But he told them that they would be provided for and that doing this work they would deserve to be provided for. So, you know, I can see him, you're like, yeah, don't leave your wingman, you know, leave no doubt we're going. But today, this talk kind of takes a turn from the leave no doubt to maybe not eat a W, but, but it does take a turn today, a decidedly hard turn. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at Matthew 10, verses 16 through 25. If you would stand as we read the very words of God. The inspired, sufficient Word of God this morning. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you do not spare us from hard words. I thank you that you are a God of full disclosure, giving us everything we need, preparing us for everything that's coming up the path for us. And I pray that by the power of your Spirit this morning, God, that you would speak to us and strengthen us and prepare us for the road ahead. Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Wow. How you, how you process what we just read? Again, the kind of what... Steve was saying this morning is this should make us stop in our tracks. This should make us go, huh? Oh. So it'd be wise to revisit what we looked at the last couple of weeks before we dive into this passage today. We started chapter 10, which we said is the second of the five great discourses that Jesus gives in Matthew and the book of Matthew. And what he's doing is he's preparing his disciples as he sends them out as apostles. And we saw that they, they in and of themselves had nothing that would commend them to this work of God, or any work for that matter. Cast-offs, fishermen, 
those who had been overlooked for everything else, not super spiritual, not anyone's prized pupils, just regular, boring, bumbling guys with no credentials whatsoever. But Jesus had chosen them and had begun the process of turning them into what He wanted. And in the process of turning them into what He wanted, He was turning them into what the world needed, literally. And He had taken them along as He taught and healed and delivered and performed miracle after miracle after miracle. And now, as He sends them out, He has begun instructing them as to what they will do, what they will say, and how they will be provided for. He said in our passage from last week that they were not to go to the Gentiles, but only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we said that that was for this time, this place, that they were receiving the message. There will come a time when they go to the Gentiles. We'll even see that today. And he had told them not to take along any money or anything extra at all, and then assured them that there would be worthy people in the towns and villages they go into who will give them what they deserve during their work. He's assuring them before they leave that they will be cared for, that they'll be taken care of, even in the midst of uncertainties. So we're going, we get to the end of the last week and we're going, all right, good. feel like we're ready to do this. Now, verse 16. Behold. Nope. Well, I went too far there. There we go. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Well, okay then. So this makes things look a little bit not as good, doesn't it? Think about what he's saying. Because I'm sure this statement right here in this pep talk kind of took the wind out of the disciples a little bit, wouldn't it you? What if Bill Stewart would have said, all right, guys, let's go out here. Now you're going to look like dummies. You're going to bumble, fumble, and this is going to be bad. You're going to look like sheep in the midst of wolves. I've been sure they've been going, uh, is that what you meant to say? And I wonder if the, if the disciples were saying, is, is that what he meant to say? Did he say we were going out like, a, like he was sending us out like a sheep in the midst of wolves? I bet he meant it the other way around. But, but, but Jesus didn't mean it the other way around, did he? He starts this statement with the word behold. And we've talked about this a lot in Matthew already. Matthew likes this word. Behold means to focus on, look long and hard at something that's being shown or said. Stop what you're doing and pay attention. Behold, I, Jesus, the Messiah, King of Kings, I am sending you out. And the I here is emphatic. It gives emphasis on the fact that Jesus is the one sending them. He's bringing attention to himself, not themselves. He's bringing attention to Him. I am sending you out. Big I, little you. Now why would He say this so pointedly? Because of what comes next. Yes, He's sending them out, but how is He sending them out? As sheep in the midst of wolves. Behold, I, yes I, Jesus, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now you don't have to have a zoology degree to understand what's going on here, right? You, you don't have to have a zoology degree to know that this is not a good scenario. There's plenty of passages in the Bible that refer to God's people as sheep. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. Sheep are not very intelligent, to put it mildly. But the emphasis here is not on the lack of intelligence, 
of the sheep. It's on their vulnerability. A sheep is a pretty vulnerable animal. Nothing very menacing or scary about a sheep. You don't see a sheep as a mascot for a football team, do you? The Independence High School fighting sheep. No, no. They're very vulnerable. Big cotton balls with tiny little legs. That's kind of what they are, right? They can't run very fast. They're not very smart. The only thing that a sheep can hurt is a blade of grass. That's about it. So then put them in a situation where those helpless, easily harmed sheep are in the midst of wolves. Again, you don't, you don't have to think about it long. Wolves are natural predators. And one of the easiest things that wolves can hunt, one of the easiest things that wolves can track down and destroy are sheep. Why? Because sheep can't run very fast. They run in packs, big giant packs, and they're all together, and the wolves come in and they're just destroying them. Sheep are helpless when exposed to wolves. Wolves have sharp teeth. Wolf run, wolves run in packs. Wolves have this thing called bloodthirst, and wolves know how to kill instinctively. John MacArthur gave an example of one place where wolves killed almost 300 sheep in one night. 300. So let me give you a simple mathematical equation. Okay, for those of you who are not, not necessarily zoology-based, but you're math-based. Let me give you a good equation to put this in perspective. Sheep plus wolves equals wolves. Okay? Or, or maybe if we want to ex extend it out, sheep plus wolves equals full wolves and sheep carcasses. That's probably more accurate. Anyway, it ain't good. Okay? Sheep in the midst of wolves is not a good thing. So why would Jesus say this? Why would Jesus do this? Because he's not just saying, he said, I'm sending you out. I'm not just verbally comparing you. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, in the midst of wolves. Well, remember, he said emphatically that he was the one sending them out this way. You see, sheep ain't no good on their own. But let's add something to the equation. Sheep plus shepherd plus wolves equals safety. Sheep plus shepherd plus wolves equals dead wolves and safe sheep. I'm the one sending you out in the midst of wolves, you lovely, stupid sheep. He won't be with them physically, but He is for them. The shepherd, actually, this whole time, had been going before his sheep. And he knew what was best for his sheep. He was preparing the way for his sheep. So this situation, while surely precarious, is not beyond the scope of the sovereign shepherd. He won't be with them, but He is for them and has planned their path prior to sending them out. So yes, it will be dangerous, but they are not hopeless. They are in the care of the shepherd for the duration of this particular trip and for the rest of their lives. We sang it this morning, right? Till He returns or calls me home. 
And remember, he's preparing them for what's coming. Yes, he is sending them out as sheep among wolves, but he's not done yet. He's got a whole lot more instruction for them. So he says, since he is sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves, he tells them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now that's something, right? What an instruction. You're being sent out as sheep among wolves, so be like snakes and doves. Dig, if you will, this picture. Oh, we'll get to that in a minute. The animal references just abound, don't they? Be wise as serpents. Now, what's that mean? Well, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.1, we read this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. More crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The word crafty here in Genesis 3 means prudent, subtle, sly, sensible. If you come back to Matthew 10, 16, the word for wise is pretty much the same definition. Excuse me. Pretty much the same definition. Serpents have historically been thought of and referred to as cunning and tricky. Anybody not been able to spot a snake? You come right up on it and you didn't see it till you're right up on it? Tricky. So these guys are going to have to be wise as serpents. They're going to have to be tricky. They're going to have to be cunning. They're sneaky even. Because you'll need to be wise, you'll need to be shrewd, you'll need to be sneaky to get through all these wolves in one piece. He's saying, don't be stupid. Well, I'm just going to go out there and look at me, persecute me, beat me up. No, dummy. Don't do that. Be wise as serpents. Be hard to spot sometimes. Sneak up on your prey sometimes. Now snakes can look creepy too. I don't know that he's telling them to look creepy. Tongues going in and out of their mouths, slithering the way across the ground. But Jesus tells us helpless sheep to be as wise as serpents. Be tricky, be cunning, be sneaky even. Because you'll need to be to get through all these wolves in one piece. But now, if you're not careful, that kind of opens the door for some shenanigans now, doesn't it? Huh? Be as wise as a serpent. They're like, (laughs) yeah, I can do that. So the question is, what's okay and what's not okay? What's too much? How snake-like should they be? Well, Jesus gives a clear understanding when he says, in addition to the snake-like qualities, shrewd, wise, sneaky, also be innocent as doves. Anything more innocent than a dove? Maybe a sheep, right? You don't see stories of people getting their eyes picked up by an angry flock of doves, do you? No, doves are symbols of peace, purity, and innocence. When the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus at His baptism, He descended like a dove. So there's also an association here with the Holy Spirit when doves are mentioned as well. So it's a pretty rounded person who can be as shrewd as a serpent and yet as innocent as a dove. I think Jesus qualified for those, don't you think? one point they tried to push him over a hill, but he just kind of passed through their midst. Slithering like a snake. He could have struck him down. But he was innocent as a dove. Just passed through their midst. So he said, be like me. Now they'd seen him be sneaky snake. 
They'd seen him be innocent like a dove. And Jesus is saying, be like me. Be shrewd and be free from sin or selfishness as you're being shrewd. Don't do stupid stuff that might get you hurt or killed. And also don't do mean stuff that might do the same for other people. They have quite a task in front of them and it's going to be hard and dangerous. So Jesus is shooting them straight and making sure they know how to carry themselves. Why? What's going to hurt them? Wolves? No, it's actually not animals. Verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. I always thought that would be a great band name, Flogged in the Gog. I don't know. Think about it. Anyway. It's not wolves. It's not snakes. It's not doves. It's not sheep they got to look out for. It's men. Beware of men, Jesus says to his men. It's men that will do you the most harm. It's men who will give you the most problems. It's men who will present the most roadblocks. Please listen to what I'm about to say, church. If you are going to reach the world, if you're going to reach men, it is imperative to remember that men hate God. Amen. You say, no, they don't. Yes, they do. Yes. In and of themselves, in and of ourselves, we hate God. Why do we hate God? Because God is holy. And God has sovereign authority over our lives and we like our sin. So God says be holy and we say no. You can't tell me what to do. I was born this way. This is your fault as a matter of fact. Men hate God. No one is neutral in this life. Either you're adopted by the God of the universe and you're living at peace with Him by what He has done or you are His enemy, rebelling and railing against Him even if it's not overt or loud. So men are going to give Jesus' apostles and us the most problems out of anything else in all of creation. But it's the same men that we're called to reach. So beware of them. What does beware mean? Everybody's seen beware of dog signs, right? Look out, there's a dog in here. Sometimes it's a little yapping chihuahua. And I'm like, really? Sometimes it's a great day. Beware. Be aware of what's in front of you. Pay attention to it. Watch closely. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Just a quick aside, can you imagine any eye contact between Jesus and Judas at this point? Beware of men because they'll deliver you over. Judas is like, mm, yeah. yeah. Be wary of men. Beware of them. Why? For Jesus says they will deliver you over to courts to flog you in their synagogues. Two important things to note from this clause here. First, note that the particular, this particular danger is not going to happen to the apostles on this trip through Galilee. We don't have any reference here of them being delivered over and flogged in the synagogue on this trip that they're taking here. That's 
We need to note that first. So Jesus isn't just instructing them for this trip. That's what we really need to see here. He's preparing them for the future trips that they will take as well. To be certain, the apostles will be flogged and appear before courts and in synagogues. We see that clearly in the book of Acts. But we have no record of this happening to them on this trip. So that's one thing. These instructions are not just for this trip. The other thing to note from this clause is who is doing this persecuting that Jesus is mentioning. They will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. It's going to be people in authority and especially religious authority who are doing this persecuting primarily. The flogging is not done by the government. It's done in the synagogues. This is religious persecution. Jesus is making sure that these Jewish men understood that it's going to be the Jews first who would be coming after them more than anybody else. See, what Jesus is doing in His life on earth is He is blowing up the religious establishment. He's blowing it up and building it from the ground back up in the image that He wants, that He desires, not the image that men have made it in. So he's blowing up the religious establishment and his men are going to carry on with that obliteration in his place both in this immediate trip and in their lives to come after Jesus is dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. The Jews are going to see this news of the kingdom of the heavens as very threatening to their understanding of God and His plans. Jesus is going to do away with sacrifices and temple worship. And he's going to fulfill all the symbolism of all the feasts and celebrations that the Jews take part in. He's going to be the focus and pinnacle of all things Jewish. But they aren't going to see that or agree with it. So, these Jews are going to try to squash this movement from the outset. So, beware of men. For they're going to take every action against you that they can in order to shut you down and shut you up. But there's an upside to this. Verse 18. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And all this accusing and trying to get these apostles to quit their preaching, they're going to have quite the audience. They're going to be dragged before governors and kings the highest positions of authority in the land will hear cases against these guys and they're going to get to speak to those people of prominence. Now again, it might be tempting for these guys to kind of get their foot in the door there with the governor, get their foot in the door there with the king and see if they can maybe broker some deals, get some benefit from these governors and kings. Hey, put a word in for me and my family so we can maybe catch a break. There's a swath of land I've been looking at for a long time. Maybe you can hook us up. But Jesus says it's not for their sakes that they'll have audience with these men in the halls of power. No, Jesus says it's for His sake that they'll be dragged before the leaders of men. For His sake. Now what's that mean? Well, He tells them to bear witness before them. We mentioned the word witness when we looked at the list of the twelve in verses 1-4. through and, And the word is martyrion, the root of which is where we get our word martyr. Their witness is them testifying, not about themselves, but rather about Jesus. Tell me why you're doing what you're doing. 
well, you know, I'm just a simple man trying to get along, you know, and I'm just, you know, just, you know, maybe trying to make a living preaching if I can. No, 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 no. This is not about them. This is about Jesus. They will testify about Jesus, who He is, what He has done, what He is doing, what He is going to do. They will verbally die to themselves and not talk about them and their work. They're going to talk about Jesus before these kings and before these governors. But not just kings and governors, no. Jesus also says they will bear witness also to the Gentiles. Again, the Jews would have been going, what? Now remember, Jesus had told them to not go among the Gentiles on this trip. But remember, again, He's preparing them for the future as well. They will testify to the Gentiles. It will happen. The kings, the governors and such will be primarily Gentiles. But the Gentiles as a people group, which is everybody that's not a Jew, the Gentiles as a people group will hear the testimony of these guys about the life and the ministry of Jesus. They will have that chance. Now, I'm sure at this point they probably didn't want that chance. These Jewish men who would be unclean if they went among Gentiles. But it's coming, whether they want it or not. So if all this is going to happen, they better be ready, right? They better get their words and their thoughts in order first, right? Well, not so fast. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. This was my life verse in college. Okay, I'm going to sweat it. I'll just see what happens in that hour. <laughs> now, if you'll remember from last week, Jesus had given these guys their message. And it was a real simple seven-word message. You remember what it was? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's their message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that might not suffice in a courtroom over for a governor or a king. Tell me what you've done. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. Um, so why are you here? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, son. Um, I'm going to give you one more chance. Tell me why I should let you out of here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah, hang this guy. He's getting on my nerves. So... If Jesus is saying that these situations are coming in these courtrooms, before these governors, before these kings, shouldn't they get ready for that? To which Jesus says quickly and clearly, no. <laughs> Don't get ready for that. Their message was to be the focus of what they were doing. And their message was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were to preach the nearness, the immediacy of the kingdom of the heavens, and that's it. That was their message. Just like it was Jesus' message. And John's before him. And so they were to focus on that message solely, not, uh, oh no, what am I going to say to save my hide when I go to court? Or do I have any money to hire a good lawyer who can talk better than me? Jesus gives them a promise here that when they are delivered over, they are not to be anxious about how to speak or what to say. That word for be anxious means to be troubled with cares, to seek to promote one's interests, to care or provide for. Jesus is saying plainly, without blush, don't worry about yourself and your interests. Don't worry about getting off. Don't worry about escaping judgment. Why? For, he says, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. 
Now, this time, like we said before, is in the future that he's referencing here. After Jesus' ascension, when they'll stand before kings and governors. At that time, they'll have the Holy Spirit living in them who will be their guide, their advocate, their helper. He, the Holy Spirit, will bring to mind the things that they need to say. He, the same Spirit that was in Jesus, who had descended on Jesus like a dove at His baptism, that very same Holy Spirit was going to help them in that time. So don't sweat it, guys. And the Holy Spirit is He, not it, by the way. Just a quick little injection there. But Jesus isn't done with this thought yet. Verse 20, this gets a little bit more interesting. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. See? It's not going to be them speaking, but the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of their Father, their Father being God, that will be speaking through them. Now we see this when we get to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read, watch this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, talking about the disciples, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in, their, in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, with a well-prepared speech... Then Peter, well-versed in how to get out of these sticky situations. No, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, and we won't get into a speech. What I want you to see is that Peter, in that moment when he needed it, in that courtroom, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking. Amen. He was given what he needed in that moment. So what Peter said in their defense was literally coming from being filled with the Spirit of God in that moment. It was the Spirit of God speaking through him. Now, let's address a very obvious question here. Do we experience the same thing when we have a need or stand before accusers or authorities? Will the Spirit of God speak through us directly like he did the apostles? Woo, be careful. I've heard preachers say they don't prepare for sermons because that would be limiting the Spirit's ability to speak through them. I just stand up and let the Spirit say what He wants to say. Be very careful. Be very careful. People say we don't really have to pray for lost people or evangelize because God will speak through somebody to them and reach them. After all, we have the same Holy Spirit that the apostles had, don't we? We do. But we do not have the same office or calling that these apostles had. Amen. Be very, very careful. And don't get mad at this. If you get mad about it, talk to me. We mentioned this last week and the week before, but these 12 men, well, 11 of them, plus Paul later, had a very particular place in history and in God's plan. We are not, nor will we ever be, apostles like these men were. 
We can do some apostolic type work knowing that we are sent by God into His field to do His work, Him working on in and through us, but we are not those who God speaks His authoritative, inspired Word through. Not directly. Some of you are going, what's that mean? Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is active in your life if you are a believer. And He will bring to mind what is the complete, inspired, perfect Word that is recorded in the canon of the Scripture and bring it to our minds when we need it. But He will not. Listen to me. He will not speak directly through you or me. You say, well, what's that mean? It means it's pretty important that I know what's in the Bible. Because that's the weapons. That's the fuel that the Holy Spirit is going to use to speak through me. I do not stand up here Sunday after Sunday and speak my authoritative word. Anything authoritative that comes from this place comes from the Word of God, not me. I'm just a pipe that He flows through. And I've got to work empowered by Him to see what He has said, to see what it means and what it means for us in our lives today. Listen to me. Please be very, very careful. Please listen to what I'm about to say. God speaks to us now in His Word, in and through the Bible. If anyone tells you God said something and that it wasn't them speaking, run. If somebody says, well, that was God speaking, not me, and it's not in the Bible, run! Really fast. The only thing we have as Christians to give the world is the abiding Word of God. The apostles were giving them God's words directly. We give them the same authoritative word, but it's through the written word, which we know is God's true word. We'll talk about that more in application, but we've got to move on right now. For now, we know that the Holy Spirit would speak directly through these apostles when they needed it. Now, 21 and 22. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Man, that's a mouthful. Turns out that it just won't just be governors and kings and religious leaders turning on the apostles. No, it's going to be their family members. Brothers, fathers, children, people in their very own families will turn on them. And not just being mean or saying, Oh, you're thou. Oh, you know things I don't. You think you're special. But it's delivering them over to death. Death. The religious leaders were just flogging them. Their family members are turning them over to be put to death. Well, that escalated pretty quickly, didn't it? Jesus is pointing out that this mission carried out immediately and after he is gone, obviously none of these apostles die on this trip. They're still there later on the story. But this mission, especially after he's gone, is going to cause severe division even among families. Maybe especially among families. This points back to a passage in Micah 
where God had said that this time was coming. Look at Micah 7, 5 and 6. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms, your wife. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are those, are the men of his own house. So here in Micah, when God starts to work and move and bring about His kingdom, people are going to be divided. We'll see this next week when Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Divided down to family relationships. And Jesus is looking His men in the eye and is saying, this is going to happen to you. I'm not sure I understand. Me either. Jesus is preparing His men for this. And He clearly tells them that some will die because their very own family is going to turn on them. Now how would that make you feel? Your brother is going to turn you over to be killed. Your father is going to turn you over to be killed. Your wife is going to turn you over to be killed. Your kids are going to turn you over to be killed. I think the better question instead of how would this make you feel is how does this make you feel? knowing that your brother, your father, your children may turn on you because of the message of Jesus to the point of having you delivered to death. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? But we have to see it and we have to walk in that truth. But it gets a little heavier even. As Jesus says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Listen, all... Now that does not mean that every person ever will hate you because you're following Jesus. But we already said that men hate God, right? But rather, there will not be a place or a group of people or a religious group or a family who will not despise the disciples of Jesus. The message of the kingdom of the heavens will be universally hated by people all over the world because men hate And then Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And there's a lot there. But suffice it to say that Jesus is not saying here that if people make it through all this persecution, then they'll be saved. Listen to me. Endurance is a sign of salvation. John says in 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Plain and simple, listen to me. Those who do not endure were never saved. Those who do not endure were never God's people. They may look good for a bit. We'll see that in Matthew 13. But if persecution and hardship push them away, they are not truly sent by Jesus. Nothing shows the true disciples of Jesus like persecution. Maybe we should be praying for persecution. Last verse, quickly. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I love that Jesus isn't telling them to just go out and get themselves persecuted or killed. No, He says that if they're somewhere and they're being persecuted, flee to another town. Run, get, go somewhere else, flee. Go on to the next town. Nothing wrong with that, y'all. As a matter of fact, Jesus is saying there's going to be times when it's the right thing to do. This is not denying Jesus. It's staying alive to share the message. 
Jesus had a plan for these guys, and he has one for us to take his message to every tribe, nation, and tongue. And while there will surely be times, as there have been in the past, when people are called to lay down their lives for this call, there are also times when it's right to preserve our lives and live to preach another day. How can we tell the difference? Well, I haven't been in that situation yet, so I don't know. But I'm confident that the same Holy Spirit who led me to Jesus will lead me in those moments. And He'll give me the power that I need to either flee or to stand. And we finish today with that last part of that sentence there. For truly, amen, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now that's a pretty loaded statement. What's that mean? What's he saying? Is he saying that the disciples won't finish their work before he, the Son of Man, comes and returns in his glory? Now remember that title, Son of Man, which Jesus was so fond of using for himself, refers back to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the, the, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's what Jesus is referring to when he talks about being the Son of Man. So is Jesus saying they won't get through all Israel before all that happens? Or could it be saying that this work won't be completed before Jesus returns in triumph and judgment in the end times? Is Jesus being immediate or is he speaking of a time in the distant future? Well, if you read ten different commentaries, you'll probably get ten different views of this. Okay. And it will depend on whether you're dispensational or hold to covenant theology. We were talking with Chris about this. Was that last week or week before? Last week? Two weeks. And if you're dispensational, you'll say it means one thing. If you're covenant, it means something else. Some commentators say that Jesus is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And they say that he's pointing to a time in the future that's unknown. That's, commentaries say all this stuff. Let me tell you where I stand. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. And it's not a cop-out to keep from taking a position. I just really don't know. I don't know what he means here. And I think that Jesus is just being clear here that they won't finish their work ever or get to a point where there's nobody else to preach to. So keep preaching. Keep going. Keep announcing the kingdom. That was to be their focus, not figuring out when they get done. Matter of fact, when we get into Matthew 24, the disciples ask, what, tell us about this. How is this going to pl play out? What are the signs? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know times and epochs. I'll give you some stuff, but I don't even know in my earthly form when all this stuff's going to happen. So just keep preaching. Keep saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand because it is. Until it is established on earth finally and fully, keep preaching that it's here and that it's immediate. That was to be their focus, not figuring out when they get done. And so it is with us too. So how's that for a pump-up speech? How you feel? Let's go preach the kingdom of the heavens! Leave no doubt. Get you... <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> preach the kingdom of the heavens, knowing that you'll be sheep among wolves, knowing men, even men in your own family, will deliver you over to be flogged and killed, and that the work will never be finished. Well, thankfully, this isn't the whole speech or the whole gospel. 
but it is a very plain spoken and forthright section of it. And we have to apply it. So how do we apply it? Three S's. Sheep, sufficient, stamina. Stamina. Me and John got on the way to church this morning. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Sheep, sufficient, stamina. First application point, sheep. You, Christian, today are sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's still true. Jesus hasn't been feeding His sheep super antibiotics and super gene mixtures to make them bigger and bulkier so they can stand up on two feet and fight off wolves. You are still sheep in the midst of wolves. You're still in a very precarious situation proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of the heavens. I have serious concerns. Actually, I have a serious conviction that one day me not compromising on the gospel is going to cost me my license to practice clinical social work in the state of West Virginia. It's precarious. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid and go out there with your chest bared and saying, go ahead, hit me with your best shot, because they will. Well, they can't hurt me. Yes, they can. They can. And you know what I really love about this passage? Is the fact that Jesus is telling this up front. I love the honesty of Jesus, the forthrightness of Jesus, that He's not holding something back. Well, I better not tell Him this because it might scare Him away. He's telling Him up front, this is precarious. This is dangerous. And you are going to suffer persecution. They knew this was going to be hard. And so do we. Don't be surprised when you go out there and the wolves are wolves. Don't be surprised when you post your little scripture on Facebook and somebody jumps your stuff. Well, they hurt my feelings. All I did was post a Bible verse. They hate it! Because it calls them to account. And it points to a creator that they are responsible to. All I did was post a verse. No, that's not all you did. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying don't be surprised when you're persecuted for it. Jesus is telling them, this persecution is coming down into your very own family. And He's honest about it. We cannot say, if we're honest with ourselves and we read the Scriptures, we cannot say that we didn't know it would be hard. We know it's hard. And these people out here preaching that it's not hard and it's about God blessing you and giving you everything good and your best life now are charlatans. They're liars. Is this the best possible life we could have? Absolutely. And it's full of persecution. James would say, consider it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials. You want joy in the kingdom? It comes through trials. It comes through tribulation. It comes through suffering. And we know that up front. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Paul in establishing the churches in Acts 14 when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying this is just going to be fun and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The application is no, this is going to be hard. You are going to suffer persecution when you stand for the kingdom's sake. Know that. Don't let it catch you by surprise. So your sheep. Second application point, sufficient. The Bible has all the words of God that we need. We talked about this a few weeks ago back when everybody on a Wednesday night... And I think the sufficiency of Scripture is one of the most important lost doctrines in the church today. Sufficiency meaning that the Bible has all the words of God that we need. We don't need new words. We don't need secret words. We don't need lost words. We need the words of God that are found in the Bible. John Piper said in his first message as pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church years ago, the source of my authority in this pulpit is not my wisdom, nor is it a private revelation granted to me beyond the revelation of Scripture. My words have authority only insofar as they are the repetition, unfolding, and proper application of the words of Scripture. I have authority only when I stand under authority. My deep conviction about preaching is that a pastor must show the people that what he is saying was already said or implied in the Bible. If it cannot be shown, it has no special authority. Well, I know what God told me. Show me. Don't tell me what God told you. Show me! Well, if God would just speak to me, He has spoken. And He has said everything He needs to say. And He put it in a book for you. They knew this in the Old Testament. And for whatever reason, I didn't put this up here. Psalm 19, if you have a Bible, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Listen to this. This is really fascinating. This is talking about the sufficiency of the law of God. And we've gone well beyond that, right? 7 through 11, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Now this is pre-New Testament. And David, who had the Holy Spirit come and go upon him at certain times and in certain ways, said, I'll take your law any day. I'll take what's written and recorded in the book of your law over anything else ever. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And those writings... Those recorded words are more to be desired than gold. We would be wise to follow David's example there. 
The Word of God is sufficient. Amen. Sheep, sufficient, and finally stamina. It is He who endures to the end that will be saved. Who is He that will endure to the end? He who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, who was justified, who was being sanctified, who was glorified. Are you worried you won't endure? Get your eyes off yourself. I'm sure these disciples are like, I don't know if I can do this or not. This is scary, Peter. I know. But Jesus said it. And Jesus said we won't get done until He comes back. So let's go do it. This is all, the, uh, all those good uh, benediction words, right? Philippians 1.6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Jude 24, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless for the presence of His glory with great joy. To Him. We look to Him because we're sheep. But even as sheep, we have everything that we need. We have the sufficiency of Christ, and Jesus is the good shepherd. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is the good shepherd. And He will lead us all the way home. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Are you afraid you're going to make it? Look at Jesus. Because He has gone before you, He is with you, and He is our rear guard. As our shepherd, He goes before us, stands in our midst, and guards our rears, literally. Assuring that we make it to His place. Assuring that we will endure. And that endurance is a sign of His faithfulness. And our stamina is a sign of our salvation. Knowing what He has done and what He is doing. Don't look at other sheep. Don't look at yourself. Look at your shepherd. And know that because of Him, you will endure. Let's pray. God, we have nothing in and of ourselves that would commend us to you. But you, because of the great love with which you have loved us, set us as a seal upon your heart. You have written our names on the palms of your hands. And you have placed us, Father, in Christ. And nobody and no one is able to pluck us from your hand. God, what you have called us to is precarious and we are sheep in the midst of wolves and you have given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So our hope to endure is found in the person of Christ. We, your sheep, with the sufficiency of the word and the stamina of your keeping power. We praise you for preparing us for this mission. 
And we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? <laughs> now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stay and eat with us if you can.